All right, I'm recording there, recording there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Can-Am Soup, a conversation between two friends, a wide variety, a gamut of subjects. My name is Jeremy, and I have with me my buddy, my friend, my co-host, Mr. Todd. How are you doing? Good, Jeremy. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Ah, just kind of recovering from the, uh, well, not recovering, I guess trying to get back into the groove of things after our Christmas little break or little holiday there. It's, uh, it's always hard to get back after the, all that, you know what I mean? Like lounging around, eating too much food, drinking too much. And then it's like, oh, let's go to work now. It's always kind of rough on a guy. You know what I'm saying? Yes. <clears throat> it's always been tough. You, uh, you got, even, even if you don't, you know, eat too much, drink too much or family too much, it's just a tough two weeks to recover from. Yeah. 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 So, uh, how's things going? What you been up to lately? Uh, still waiting on the, uh, new farm truck to come out of the hospital. I should be able to oh, get yeah. that today. In fact. Oh, right on. We've had some snow today. Uh, you know, the big what? second snow of the year and probably the final. Really? So what kind of accumulations do you guys get with the snow? Oh, the first one of the year was like three or four inches, and this one is a dusting. Oh, okay. Three or four inches, that surprised me, though. That's a decent amount. Like Enough to make the roads a little hairy. You know, I don't even consider it snow until it's two, three, four inches. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had to take my snowblower in yesterday. So <clears throat> I, I, I told you offline that I got a, a new Husqvarna snow thrower, snowblower, like a two-stage yeah. one. And we had one good dump of snow. And I, I wish we had, we probably had like eight or ten inches and I remember I went to bed and it was we, like in the, probably from about five o'clock on until time I went to sleep, we had like five inches. I'm like, this is gorgeous. Like just coming straight down nice and slow. And I thought this is going to be amazing. And then I was woken in the middle of the night to the wind. And then I was like, oh, there it goes. And what we get here is we'll get snow. We could get a foot of snow, but it'll blow like crazy. And so you'll end up with a whole bunch of spots that have no snow, right? Like you can see the road. And then you'll end up with a spot, depending on, you know, outbuildings or vehicles parked, it just drifts. And so we ended up having like a three foot snow drift on our driveway. And I go take my brand new snowblower, make my way through that. And it's funny because the rest of the driveway, there may be two inches of snow. Like, you know, we could drive, but there's no way on earth our vehicles would get through this huge snow drift. And, and you have a little experience probably in Montana with the snow drifts. It, it packs the snow as it drifts, Right. And so this is like pretty dense, hard snow. And I get through it and halfway through, all of a sudden, my snowblower starts going, I'm like, shoot. So I shut it off, look in there, and um, there's one of the bolts, there's four bolts that kind of hold the main impeller housing onto the little transmission box. And one of those bolts, like the nut came off on the inside. And so I had to take some covers and have a look. And I'm like, these clowns. They had these nylock nuts and the bolts that they were using weren't long enough to fully engage that nylon little locking ring. And so anyways, I found, I don't know what it was, a 516 or something like that, uh, serrated, you know, washer nut. I put that on there just to kind of milk it through, keep going. 
and I was pretty much done. I had one more pass to do, and all of a sudden it starts making another noise like that, but this bolt was tight, and I couldn't find any other loose bolts, and I thought, you know what? I got to get this done so we can get out of here, and then I moved my snowblower head like a foot, and all of a sudden I realized there's a bracket that fell out from, <laughs> from the transmission box, and it looks like some type of a belt guard or something to prevent the belt from coming off the pulley, but... Oh, so frustrating. I buy a brand new machine. I'm not the guy that buys equipment new. I'm usually always buying used. But I thought, no, you know what? This time I'm going to do it right. I buy it. I get not even three hours on it and I already have to take it back to them. So I, <laughs> I dropped that off yesterday. I'm like, oh man, heated hand grips. They're supposed to have heated hand grips and they do not work. So I don't know. At least, at least it's got a warranty, but it's it's frustrating. You know, you, you think, okay, I'm going to buy a good one. Husqvarna should be a pretty good brand. And I remember telling these people is, is like a, it's called Alberta Forest and Garden or something. It's like a specific landscaping store. So commercial, all kinds of stuff. And I told them, I said, I didn't go to the big box stores and buy a snowblower because I want to come here and just get a good one. <laughs> it's like, well, don't know if that really works that way, I guess. I don't know, but hopefully they get a fix soon. And we don't have snow, any snow in the next week or so. So that'll be all right. You know, that's a... Yeah. Uh, good lead into this week's topic because you know a lot of tool brands now uh specific products of those tool brands are getting a really bad reputation oh man this company used to be good and now they're crap or this new startup company's crap you know let's take a step back and look at it you know a little bit more objectively uh just for the sake of this show, um, is that the case? Or has someone inside the company uh, taken liberties that then take a well-engineered on-paper product, but I'm the purchase order writer and the, you know, the board or the CEO has pressure on me to save money. So instead of ordering the bolts that look too long to me because I'm neither an engineer nor a mechanic nor have I ever seen one outside of a drawing. Oh, those are too long. I'll save money on those extra threads I don't think it needs and order shorter bolts. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've I've actually seen people who write purchase orders just completely ruin a project. So it would make it, it would not surprise me at all if at least in some instances that were to happen at tool companies. Yeah. Yeah. And then also you add, so, so that's kind of speaking of the, the mainstream brands, the big brands. And then you kind of add to the fact that the cheaper brands, the Chinese, Chinese brands, they are getting better. Right. Like crappy tools are, are, getting better than they used to be. It used to be like they were, okay, it felt like something you got in a, a, a quarter vending machine, you know? I've, have you ever tried Ikea tools? <laughs> have you ever seen them? I've seen them. I have <laughs> what? one of their, every... uh, I don't know where I got it, but I think I, I have no idea where I got it because but it was an Ikea screwdriver, a Phillips head screwdriver. And I just out of curiosity, I was like, 
This thing looks so cheap. I wonder if I can bend it. Yep. <sighs> now it's a 90 degree screwdriver. <laughs> Those are handy sometimes. Because well, I've seen them, they, like here, I think, I don't know what it is, like $17, you can get a cordless drill. <laughs> and then it's it doesn't have any removable batteries or anything like that, but it's got one of those little little cubes you plug into the wall, and it's got those two speaker wires that go up to the little, you know, the, the DC input charging that you might use to, I don't know, the, the thing we plug into our roadcasters here, you plug into the back of a small stereo. And that's how you charge this thing. I always, it's like 17 bucks. I'm like, I want to I buy that just to see how terrible it is. <laughs> Do a YouTube video about it. <laughs> how to make a knife with Ikea tools. <laughs> it, might, it might actually be a good video. View wise. Yeah. That's um, crazy. Oh, God. What is that one guy's name on YouTube? Uh, it doesn't matter what his name is. But he has taken... Uh, uh, he uses some Ikea stuff, but repurposes really? it into other stuff for knife making. Like he took something of Ikea that w- had uh, carbide on it and took that and made a, uh, a file guide for knife making. Really? Yeah. Uh, now the carbide's oh. still substandard, but it's better than not carbide, you know? Black, is that Blackbeard Projects? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of his stuff he does, Dude, I'm that like, guy, hey, that's pretty cool. Some of it, I'm like, yeah, you're just getting clicks. Yeah. But anyway. He's, he's destroying it. So, uh, I don't know. I want to say I had 30,000 subscribers. And uh, he'd message me. And he's always asking for tips and advice. And he had, I'm going to say like 5,000 at the time. <laughs> and, man, he has absolutely just destroyed it on YouTube. Like... Oh, and I'm, I think he's doing awesome. You know, it's it's funny because I think he's got a good balance of it's fast enough, right? Like he's not like lollygagging in the videos. There's also a point where he doesn't have a lot of his personality. In his beginning videos, he never, ever talked. And now he'll sometimes do something where he'll talk about moving his shop or something. But generally, it's like the old Jimmy DeRista style, you know, overhead camera shot, fast forward footage and interesting projects, like really neat ideas that he has. And he kind of branched out. He does some knife making. Um, the one thing that I took offense to one time, not offense to him, but he made a knife and it wasn't, he's he's even told me like he, even we talked, I don't know, we haven't talked probably for a couple months, but um, you know, he doesn't consider himself a really great knife maker and neither would I. Um, I don't think he makes enough knives to understand geometry and stuff. But I remember one of his very first kitchen knife builds that he did it it looked cool, but when you looked at him, like, that's a terrible knife. Like, it's actually, like, to use that would be pretty terrible. And then I made a knife, and it wasn't even a, a kitchen knife, ADC knife. And somebody commented, said, well, you should go watch Blackbeard Projects and learn how to really make a knife. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you know, I, I'm not conceited. I, I know that I have a lot to learn, but I also know that I actually make a better knife than he does. Like, like. I'm not boasting or anything. If he made as many knives as I did, he would probably be making better knives than me. But I just made more than him. But I remember I got that comment. I'm like, wow, you have no clue. Yes, Blackbeard Projects does really cool stuff. And he tries a lot of things. He's learning a lot. But no, he does not make a one. He does not make a good performance knife. He makes some neat looking knives. And some of them are getting, they're getting better. I'm not saying he doesn't make it at all. But generally speaking, 
you know what I mean? If you're you're going to get a desirable, beautifully functioning knife, he would be kind of low on the list of makers that are out there and, and famous. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's funny. And Yeah, he does cool stuff. And trolls just, they would bring the worst out in me. And I don't know that it would bother me if a troll was trolling me. But when I see an idiot troll that just says something offhanded or mean to a friend of mine that I know is so not true that the extent of the not trueness is well beyond the capability of the troll to even comprehend. Yeah. It just burns me up. And you did a video recently that illustrates the difference between um, someone famous on YouTube that doesn't necessarily have the skill yet versus someone who has the skill and not necessarily the social media stardom. Uh, when you did a video about, hey, I wonder if I can make a knife with a uh, one of those cheap one-inch wide belt sanders. Mm-hmm. Well, you already have the skill to make a knife, right? So, Mm -hmm. and you make a very good knife. So you can take the skill and knowledge and turn out a pretty serviceable knife with substandard tools, whereas someone Mm -hmm. that's just starting out and has substandard tools and no knowledge can't do it. Yep. Um, And you can take someone that still doesn't have the knowledge give them a multi-million dollar shop and they still can't make a serviceable knife. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was absolutely blown away. I I didn't think like truth of the matter. I thought that video was going to end up being like, yep, definitely. This is the reason why I have two by 72s, why I skipped the step of the one by 30. Um, and I was absolutely shocked at how it worked. And it's, it's good. I'm glad that people kind of picked up what you're saying because a lot of the comments a lot of the comments were saying, you know, proof proof positive that it's, you know, it's not necessarily the tool, but more the experience, you know? And that's kind of how I wrapped the video up too. Like I've ground dozens of knives, hundreds of knives on a two by 72 and that skill is directly transferred to a one by 30 and vice versa. If you don't want to spend money on a two by 72 grinder, you have a one by 30. Well, when you start, you're going to suck. Just like when I started on my homemade belt grinder, I sucked like terrible. I have, I found, I was cleaning up my shipping container the other day and I had this uh, little Rubbermaid bin of bodies of knives that I screwed the grinds up on <laughs> and I should almost pull it out and share some of them. And I bet that would give some people hope because they are so bad. Like grinds, I don't even know how I could have been so stupid. Like, I, like, oh, was I like down, doing a jig with the knife, like dancing a jig with the knife against the platen? Like, I'm like, how on earth could I have done what I've done, did there, you know? But, um, you know, it's true. You take a one by 30 and you grind a whole bunch of knives. If you grind a hundred knives on a one by 30, you will be a good knife maker. You'll be able to grind a good knife as long as you're not a complete idiot and you know how to, you know, see and correct for mistakes. It's all based on experience. I mean, tools do help and there's certain level of precision that, you know, I find I found you know the transition from the plunge line to the grind line. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, I I I think it looks nice when that's kind of radiused, 
And man, I ended up fiddling with that. Like the the one thing that that video doesn't really illustrate is when I was finishing up the grinds, like after heat treatment, I was, my pressure on that, because you can't slow those things down. I was barely touching it on the belt, like just barely. Because I was at the point where it's like, I really don't want to do any more grinding. I just want to take off this mill scale uh, or the scale from the heat treat, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, a, you know, if that thing could be slowed down, it'd be just exponentially better. But it can be done. I was, I was kind of interested in that. And I get asked all the time, can I, is a one by 30 good place to start? And I say all the time, like I've never tried one. Unfortunately, I can't recommend it. And now I can say, yes, you know what? Don't, don't expect just to make beautiful knives your first 10 knives, but you can definitely grind a knife on a one by 30. And then I can point them to a video. So I've got a video where I've done that, you know? And, oh no, I agree with you, but give them the caveat as well from me that, oh, hey, hang on, sorry. Had that frog in my throat and it was going nowhere fast. Uh, yeah. But now I figured out this cough button and there you go. But now the caveat mm. for me about using a one by 30 is it'll never get you as good as you're going to be if you stick with it. So use it just until you can get something better. And yeah. of all of your tools, if you're going to use power tools, upgrade that first. Because yeah. just a one by thirty, I don't care if you mount the base inside a thousand pound block of concrete; it's not going to be as rigid. Uh, I have two, and well, one I got for free, but uh, and I've done a couple of uh, uh, marking knives with it, the uh, Kiradashi or mm-hmm. whatever, uh, and I just can't get the. No, my grind line is perfectly straight. But the quality of the grind is, you know, if you the closer you look at it, if you look at it under any kind of magnification, you're like, ugh, looks like a dirt road. Hmm. You know, I've wound up having to still do a whole lot of polishing uh, by hand, simply because it's not, you, you, you don't even perceive how much that belt is vibrating. Yeah, yeah. And it gets hotter, quicker. Yeah. Yeah. That's a one advantage with like the 72 inches that, that those abrasives have some time to cool before they come back around. And I did notice that, um, that, and then the speed, like when I was kind of shaping out the handles, it was like a, I think it was like a linen micarta, man, I'd just burn them like instantly. So I had to just do a touch and then a little touch, a little touch, a little touch. Uh, but apparently like I, I, it was kind of cool cause I got a lot of interesting feedback and a lot of people said that like Rikon makes a a, t- uh, a one by 30 that's variable speed. And I'm like, oh, now that, see, that would be the next step up. But I, I definitely agree with you. Like once you're getting to the point where if you have consistent grinds and, and your bevels look fairly even, that would be like, okay, first of all, if you're at that point, you've probably made quite a few knives and you probably actually want to continue, right? It's not like, yeah, I tried it. It's not for me. If you're getting to the point where you're making a, a decent looking grind, um, it's probably the point where it's like, yeah, this is something I can, this is something I'm going to continue doing. And by then for sure, even if you, you know, some people would just know, oh, I, I want to make knives and it's a passion and, and it's something that they would buy and stick with. Then, then yeah, get the, get that two by 72 if you can at first, but oh, absolutely. so many people but, are like, you know, by all means, make sure that that's something you want to stick with before you take that leap into two by 48 or 
72 because just to get a mediocre to good one is an incredible amount of money. Yeah. I don't know where these people get off charging that much money for them, but they do. And they get it. Yeah, but there's a lot that goes into them. Like, because uh, like, I, I was going to make my own. Like, I really wanted to make my own grinder. <clears throat> and I started looking at um, some of the different parts. Like, even, like, the motor itself is, the motor in a VFD is a 1000 bucks at least. Right? Even a motor without a VFD, a good uh, TEFC, totally enclosed fan-cooled motor, you're not getting one for under three, four hundred dollars. Um, and then the material, like I, I honestly think that they're not. Some of them are way overpriced, but um, I don't know. Uh, the other thing too is that there hasn't been a lot of competition, right? And it seems now there's more and more grinder companies out there. Like every time you turn around, there's a new grinder company. Um, you're right, and it seems like instead of trying to drive to competition and hey, I'm gonna you know, make a better product and uh, sell it for a little bit less than you are. Oh, no, I want your profit margin. So, you know, it's like they all jumped in at Beaumont prices. Not to not yeah. to jump on Beaumont. It's just the first name that popped into my head. They make yeah. incredible grinders. Yeah. I uh, Honestly, see, Beaumont's a, of, uh, I think of the grinding companies, Beaumont's probably one of the bigger ones. Like Birking, obviously, uh, just in my opinion, they're they're a bigger manufacturer, right? They can cast a lot of their stuff. Um, but I guess the one thing with the Beaumonts is that they are simple, right? And I do believe that I think Beaumonts are probably the most overpriced grinder on the market by far. Uh, like I bought the original KMG and for what it was, when I looked at what it was, I think I paid over 2000, like 2,400 bucks Canadian. And I'm like, man, like that's one instance where I'll say, yes, this is ridiculous. I look at other companies that are way more innovative. They make a much better grinder, like the Black Fox grinder. So many more things going on there. And it's about the same price as a basic KMG, right? The one that I had, they don't make anymore. They're always... You know, it's kind of one of these things. He's always uh, Thaddeus Hicks, the guy who owns Black Fox One. He's innovating all the time, and a lot of times those innovations come with a higher price tag. And I don't know. I want to see a company come out and say, "Listen, we're going to make one grinder. It's going to be simple, and we're going to completely, you know, our goal is to try and make it cheaper as we go. So if we come up with an innovation and a new way of doing things, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Let's do that. Do that only if you can." spend less time or less money manufacturing it so that you can be like, okay, you know, or even, you know, 10 years from now, our grinder has the same price tag that it, that it did. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like, oh, we, we've got this new change. We've innovated, we've designed and it's better. And it's $400 more this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, uh, ever since I, I saw know. the um, black box that you got, I, I've wanted one because while I'm not a knife maker, uh, a two by seventy two or two by forty eight. You can really control the kind of sanding that you do. There are just almost unlimited types of belts that you can get from sanding to polishing that would work mm-hmm. for what I do most of uh, in uh, the gunsmithing. So, yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. Like, um, uh, you know, Brian House. 
uh, he's got a, a podcast and he's a YouTube YouTuber and stuff. He actually, is, he started a company uh, making grinders. Uh, the Revolution Grinders, kind of his design, and he sells like a, you can buy all the parts as a flat pack. I should look into his pricing. I've never actually looked into his pricing because if it's reasonable, you know, I like the idea of that. It's like, okay, so I did the design, he did the design, and then he gets it laser cut and flat packs it and then ships it to you. So it's like, okay, you know, you would put the tabs together. You could literally go out and buy yourself a $200 flux core MIG, weld this thing together, and now you've got, you know, he sells the wheels and stuff, and for a few hundred bucks, you can have yourself a grinder you know, without having to measure and design and engineer. Like my first grinder, she was looking at the video, I think last week or the week before. And I look at the way I mounted my motor and it was like, oh, I was like, what on earth was I thinking? Like the design was so bad. It worked great. It tracked great. It ran great. But I'm like, this is such a stupid design of a grinder. It's so clunky and it's so massive, you know, but, um, I was kind of limited to which direction that the, uh, treadmill turned the motor and I didn't want to do any rewiring. I, I literally still had, <laughs> I had the controller, um, you know, that was on the treadmill. That's what I was using. So, so when I pressed start, it was like, okay, you're starting. And then when I grinded, tell me what speed the treadmill is going at, you know what I mean? But it worked, it worked. For yeah. his ultimate pack, yep. it's $359 US, uh, but to finish it, what you're going to need is the tube steel, the wheels, the tracking mechanism, uh, four inches of one-inch round steel, high-carbon steel for the platen, uh, a motor, a VFD, and some wiring. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if you'd be hard-pressed to still make it you know, cheaper than buying someone else's, but I'm yeah. a DIY kind of guy. So I like the idea of buying something like his and doing it all myself. Yeah. Particularly when I happen he, to have a brand new unused, uh, VFD and motor for a two by se <clears throat> two by 72 grinder. Do you? I do. Oh, right on. Have you had that for a while? Or you just get it. Oh, I've had it for a while since okay. uh, the spring or summer of 2017. Hmm. Well, that's cool. And now it's sitting right next to the uh, uh, 2x72 grinder it came with that I have never put together. Um, I bought one of those uh, Oregon Knife Maker big yellow monstrosities. Oh, yeah. I've had, you know, from someone that's objective, I haven't heard anything bad about it except it is what it is, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Joey Adelano used it, so it's got to be good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. You know, it's, it's interesting because, like, the Brian House was saying, I, I think I got totally sidetracked on his grinders, but anyways – he says that the two by 72 is something that should be in every shop. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, getting, getting back to what you're saying with how handy it would be for your woodworking, man, once you have one, I told my wife a couple of years ago, so my dad has a manufacturing company and they make airport baggage conveyors. And uh, I worked in that shop. I mean, I worked for him for 17 years 
And I remember when I got my grinder and the first few times I used it for like a, a welding project, like, oh, I got to make a table and I got to deburr all these little the square tubing I cut and I go, oh, I'm just using my grinder. And I use it. I'm like, this works better than a bench grinder ever has, you know? And I don't understand why every single fab shop just picks up. Well, if you need a, if you need a, uh, sometimes for sharpening certain tools or drill bits, a bench grinder is ideal, but have one for that. Everywhere else is bench grinders, pick them up, throw them away and put a two by 72 there. Uh, like twice, three times better than a bench grinder for most metal fabrication stuff. You know, it's oh, incredible. Yeah. There's what such I got mine tool. for was to help, uh, when I was making my own, uh, pistol slides, I buy a blank one and then mill it the rest of the way myself is to soften the edges, polish it up. And using a belt grinder to polish is infinitely more joyful than by hand. Yeah. Yeah. So when are you going to get your set up? As soon as I get my working on my shop again, which should be uh, later today and tomorrow. Oh, right on. Once I get uh, cool. over this uh, fronius fiasco. Oh, what's going on there? I, I know you knew I got the fronius welder for Christmas, but did I tell you that when I took it out of the box, I learned it was used? What? And that someone had already put in a... According to Fronius, oh, yeah, the uh, warranty on that one's already started because somebody already made a claim. And I wow. paid brand new price for it. Nothing on that website claimed that it was used or so was know, it, refurbished. Did you buy right from Fronius? No, the uh, that particular one, they send you to a distributor uh, from their oh, okay. website. Uh, a lot of things they'll sell you directly but not the uh trans steel hmm. so like does it even work i have yet to pick up uh shielding gas or a plug because life has taken over the last two weeks yeah yeah so what are they uh, doing since I have where to are you at with that go ahead where are you at with the uh, the welder then like you still like kind of fighting with them or waiting to hear back or what? Well, part of buying this trans steel package that I bought, you got the aluminum kit for free. I yep. was waiting on Fronius to ship that before I got a hold of the distributor and argued with them. I didn't want yeah. the I didn't want to lose out on that, you know. Yeah. That makes sense. But <clears throat> If it works, you just give me some money back, you know, because according to Fronius, they've already fixed it. And okay. nothing leaves their, you know, repair place unless it's as good as new in working order. You know, the only reason I know it's used is it's clearly got, you know, been sideswiped on the side. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it's got some body work, but... uh Fronius said, you know, if the warranty started and it's back in for, you know, if it's back in the box for resale, that thing's 100%. Huh. We, you know, they'd stake their rep on it. And I'm like, you yeah. just did. Yeah. 
at the same time, you didn't you didn't buy a used one that's still under warranty. You bought a brand new one. <laughs> and know? the warranty should have not started in, on a new one until I registered it. But, you know, you go to register your brand new welder and Fronia says, uh, no, wait, hold on. That one's already been uh, the warrant. You can register it in your name, but the warranty's already started. And then they won't tell you when it started. So you don't know when your two years ends. Oh, wow. That's the one thing I did argue with them about. And then the person who does not speak English at all because they're Austrian, uh, you know, they, one, they're an employee. They don't care. Um, but hey, this is policy. Yeah. And Are they from Austria? It, uh, Austrian or Swiss. Oh, wow. Um, the, uh, eventually it got, the conversation got frustrating for both of us and hooked me up with a higher up that does speak English. In fact, they're American. Uh, and they explained to me, yeah, 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 it's policy, whatever. Don't worry about it. Fronius hmm. understands what happened happens, and even though you don't get your full two years, you'll get your full two years. That's just the way Fronius works. He said, okay. in fact, um, if you got a problem with it five years from now and you call Fronius, chances are they'll fix it because they, they have a rep and they really want to keep it. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I bought... Uh I don't know, a, a TIG welder. I don't know how long ago it was. And I didn't register it. I probably should have. I never, I don't ever register my tools. And I probably should. I guess the one thing is I've never had a tool, like even the ones that I have registered, I've never had them fail before the warranty's over. So I'm like, I always kind of think, you know what? I, I bought from, I buy from reputable companies. I'm sure there's going to be no issues. Obviously, if I got out of the box and there's a problem, I'd, I'd look into it right away, but... I don't know. I probably should, especially because it, it really doesn't cost you anything but your time, right? Like, I, I think I yeah. have one year parts and service on this TIG welder that I bought. And I'm like, I should register it, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I bought a, before we left Maryland, I bought a brand new uh, jet variable speed floor standing uh, drill press because my old Delta one, you know, finally met its maker. And the day I received it, took it out of the box, assembled it, it didn't work. Oh, wow. And it looked like it had been run over 42 times by a Mack truck. It didn't just yeah. look scratched up and used like this Veronius welder. It looked like it had been taken out of a recycle bin. Oh, wow. <laughs> on one side of it, right? All, you know, all of the fins were broken off the man, the fan on the, or the motor on that side. Yeah. The cast iron housing around the trunnion cracked in half. Wow. And a myriad of other things. Well, I called the place I ordered it from, and they're like, eh, not our problem. Talk to Jet. Called Jet. Not our problem. You didn't buy it from us. Go back to them. Huh. And... And then that was my first negative experience with one of the most uh, hated tool distributors, Acme Tools, that it 
I didn't know that they had a bad reputation when I bought it because I had bought some things from them in the past. Never had any issues with it. Yeah. But so I was out quite the stack of U.S. dollars. And uh, not only did I uh, swear off of Acme tools at that time. Well, Jet, it was your equipment. I don't care who sold it to me. It was brand new in the box. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy anything jet ever again. And I was about, it's, and I it, told the guy on the phone, I was like, I was about to outfit. I'm moving to my retirement home uh, and I'm not old enough to retire yet, but I am. And I'm about to outfit a completely new woodworking shop. And I'm not going to buy a single piece of jet tool. Goodbye, mm-hmm. sir. Yeah. Does jet have a decent reputation? Yes, like, <laughs> their woodworking tools have had a good reputation for a long time. And I actually really wanted two pieces of jet equipment in there. But based on that, oh, no, not doing it. Wow. Um, what about Rikon? Rikon's supposed to be a decent one too, isn't it? Uh, yes, but I had a bad experience with them. And then when they first hit the market, you know, what, two decades ago, big time. I went to a woodcraft shop and I really got under the hood of a piece because um, it happened to be standing there, right? And I had been mm-hmm. a good customer. And they're, the normal guy that helped the elderly owner put stuff together wasn't coming to work anymore mm-hmm. um, because the local law enforcement agency invited him to stay with them for a couple of years. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure it was nothing he did. They just really liked his company. Yeah. Uh, I'll put him up room and board. Yeah, free. <laughs> we'll, even give you, we'll even give you a soulmate while you're here. But, <laughs> <laughs> Let's story about that in a bit. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> he, uh, the old guy was like, hey, do you mind helping me put this together? And it was one of their bandsaws. And I'm like, yeah, after putting that together... Yeah, I'm not buying Raycon, but they have really made really? leaps and bounds. They moved from uh, onshore to offshore during, you know, shortly after that because now they were, I think they're predominantly all made in Taiwan. Yeah. I could be wrong, but last I heard. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm not into the big woodworking tools. I always saw jet, like, I remember seeing some jet, like, uh, bench grinders. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just the way their logo is designed. It it doesn't look. Uh, I, to me, it just doesn't look like quality. I'm like, is this from, you know, some little rinky-dink hardware store or something? But you talk to people, it's like, oh no, Jet's good stuff. I'm like, wow, because I, I never weird. Like, I don't know if my dad maybe had mentioned something or had a bad experience like you did. But I always grew up thinking, oh, poor guy, he's just got Jet tools. That's too bad, <laughs> you know. But. Well, I got a um, chance uh, at one of the uh, gunsmiths that I learned from <clears throat> had older jet metalworking tools, uh, I mean, like decades and decades old. Uh, his mill was a jet clone of a Bridgeport. I think it was rock solid. It was better than the Bridgeport I had been using. And his metal lathe was jet, and it was a 79 or 80 model. 
and it was yeah. awesome. I went and looked mm. at some before I my uh, drill press incident. I went and looked at some brand new metalworking jet equipment. And I'm like, this went downhill. Hmm. Yeah, it man. It seems any modern manufacturing right now, like even with what you think is like such a great brand, the market drive is so intense and, you know, profit margins and like, oh, you know, as much as we've always been made in America, we're just going to send this, this one out to get made over here or something. You know, like I look at this Husqvarna, I, I thought I was buying a good one. I paid good money for it. Um, you know, you pay more than I would. I could have gotten a bigger, bigger snow thrower with a, a bigger motor, more features at Lowe's for less money, or Rona or Home Hardware for less money, right? Um, but I'm like, no, nope, I'm gonna go to like one person that they're actually a authorized, they're a distributor, an authorized service dealer place, you know, and like, oh, but then even when I get down and into it, I'm like there's so many little tabs that are plastic and I'm like, those are the things that in five years are going to break in the cold. And then next thing you know, this thing's going to, the tolerances are going to completely shift and it's going to be loose as a goose and it's not going to move. I'm like, Oh, come on. And you can look at this, like what's supposed to be, yes. Is this a reputable brand? Is this a good quality snow throw? I, I did a bunch of research and this was a, a bunch of websites said this is the top recommended one kind of within its category, right? Like for an acreage user or something. I'm like, okay, good. I'm going to do it. And then I look at it and I, I'm into it. I'm like, Ugh, man. And I guess I always think about the way I would have done things. It's like I would have just welded a tab onto here. But then, you know, the money, the dollar, dollar, dollar bills. No, we're not going to weld a tab onto here to hold this cable housing. We're just going to have a hole. And then there's going to be a little snap that pops in for a cable housing. And it's plastic or nylon or whatever. It's like, oh, man. I don't know. Maybe what I'll end up doing is once the, <laughs> once the warranty's up, I'll just start... Every time something breaks, I'll rebuild it the way that it should have been built in the first place. You know, exactly. machine a little cable housing or a little cable stop and weld it to the frames. Like, okay, good, this is fixed now. Might be end up, might be what I have to do. Yeah, but I was. Uh, everything seems that way, doesn't it? It does, and even when you buy something that's supposed to be good, just like you did. Uh, another. YouTuber that will remain nameless uh, was watching at some point last year or the year before, I can't remember, uh, was working on their mill. And the uh, um, ribbon wire that runs one of the uh, uh, displays that runs through the casting had vibrated through the insulation. Like, how hmm. does that happen when you're running it in the middle of this giant casting? How? Yeah. And they said it couldn't have been put in there that way unless coincidentally a, you know, pre rub through piece of insulation landed exactly on this uh, rough part of the casting, you know, and they yeah, don't, yeah. and they don't use their mill in an up and down. It's just, you know, in outside side, you know, X, Y axis and it doesn't rotate. So how did it rub through? Mm -hmm. And well, having been a 
in the industry for a little bit, not the tool industry, but just industry, you know how the 400-pound gorilla or the 90-pound Chinesium that in, in you know, um, put the tool together, that's how it got mm-hmm. rubbed through. Mm-hmm. Probably knew they rubbed through it, didn't give a crap, and then get this thing in the box quick. Yeah, yeah. And then you pay good money for what is supposed to be a good name, and then you get a bad tool. And then in my case, with Jet, they they refuse to stand behind it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny because that's why, I like, so the, the snowblower that I had before was I, probably from the early 80s, and it's called a Craftsman Drift Breaker. And it's, you know, two-stage snow thrower. The, the metal... The, the the sheet metal that makes up the impeller housings, it's thick. Like, like I don't know what it is, but it is thick. Like it could be like eighteen gauge or six it, it probably not six maybe eighteen gauge. Whereas the new ones are probably twenty, right? Um and it's funny, I did a video on YouTube probably a year or two ago and I was kind of doing a little bit of work on this thing and I thought, you know what, I always have to do work. I'm always kind of limping this old girl along. I should just buy a new one. And I said, I'm sure if I buy a new one it's gonna be even worse though, right? And then, boom, three hours into this brand new machine, <laughs> it's going. The problem I had with the other one, and the only reason I was looking to get a new one, is that these, uh, these snowblowers have a friction, just friction drive. So it's like this big wheel, and you know, kind of rubs 90 degrees onto another wheel, and that kind of moves it. But the friction wheel has, it's almost like a V-belt, but it's like cast rubber. And over the years, I mean, this thing has been so dried and so cracked and it's basically, it's like Teflon now, you know, it's like a slippery, slippery plastic. So it doesn't, it doesn't drive itself. And last year, over half the time I was pushing this snow blower by hand, which isn't that bad if it's, you know, if it's not too bad of snow, cause there's wheels, you know, you just kind of disengage it. So it free throws and it actually picks up the snow and moves it for you. It's easier than shoveling. Um, but if you get some of these drifts with this hard packed snow, like, I mean, exhausting. And so this year I thought, you know what, enough's enough. I'm done messing around with this thing. I'm done every year. You know, I'll have to make a new linkage or there'll be a bolt breaks or this or that. I'm like, I'm sick and tired of messing with this thing. I'm just going to buy a new one and be done with it. And that's, that's kind of against my style. It's against my, I don't do that. You know what I mean? Like I don't buy new vehicles. I don't, I hate it. Even bicycles. I can go (laughs) buy new bicycles, but I'm like, no, I want to use one because I can save some money. (laughs) And I'm, but, um, yeah. And I do this and then sure enough, well, Got to, you know, had to spend, you know, an hour and a half of my time, put it onto my trailer, drive in there, unload it. And it's like, nah, it just drives me nuts. It drives me insane. You know, pay good money for something. I shouldn't have to be giving up my time like this, you know. Yeah, but, uh, I get it. Uh, <clears throat> I get it. And now you're like, oh, I want my old one back. Well, I still have it. Look, luckily, I just moved it outside. And uh, I was thinking this spring, it's it's got a 16-horse motor on it. And I was like, that might be a fun little go-kart for the kids. But uh, who knows? Maybe yeah, I should actually... See, now it's already seen its replacement, and it's got it out yeah. for you. No. No, this is good old American Jeremy has replaced me. Uh, <laughs> he just thinks he can fix me at this point, because he's going to put a lot of time and effort fixing those little things and this little thing. Oh, great. And the first time he starts me, I'm shelling out the engine. No, no, I'll I'll let it know. Hey, you go give me troubles, and I'll take a crowbar to your face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
Do you ever get mad at inanimate objects when you're working? I have working? broken laptops in half, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, sometimes I'm working and something happens, I will yell at it and then just, like, beat it and, like, oh. Like, I actually, I, I kind of have a, it's like I have a relationship with my tools or with stuff I'm working on and, like, Oh, you know, you're, you're underneath a semi-chassis and you stand up and hit your head. Man, I'll take my hammer and smash that I-beam 10 times. Like, <laughs> you dirty rotten, just wail on it. And it feels better. It feels good somehow. I think that actually solves my problems. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't have violent reactions like that with people because I expect people to be stupid. I expect, <laughs> yeah. I expect in- inanimate objects to remain inanimate and not come yeah. to life to mess with me. But they do yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. And I have to teach them a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was just thinking about that with that snowblower. If it doesn't start, I'm just going to kick it. I'm like, come here. You want me to keep kicking you? Then keep not starting. <laughs> I'll suddenly be like, fine, fine. <laughs> I was half thinking I should pillage this new Husqvarna I have, see if I can make the friction wheel that's brand new and put it <laughs> into the old drift breaker. <laughs> Oh, and then you might oh, have see, something. But now you're introducing this poisoned new piece of equipment into this old reliable. Yeah, just just the certain parts. That's like taking you know? an 18 year old alcoholic liver and putting it into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I think the biggest problem with these things is cost savings, right? The sheet metal gets thinner because, you know, steel's expensive. And any, you know, they, they look at anywhere they can save money. Like you were saying, could we get a slightly shorter bolt? I mean, if you're buying a bolt at a hardware store, it's no different, right? They're probably the same price within a quarter inch. But if you're buying like, you know, 400,000 bolts of this size, and if you get like an eighth of an inch shorter, there's going to be some cost savings there, you know? Oh, yeah. It's about the only other intelligent thing, the other Canadian YouTuber uh, has said without, you know, 14 unnecessary F words is it's all about the almighty dollar when it comes to tool manufacturing. Yeah. That's AVE? Oh, of course not. Oh. Of course it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can't, ah, man. And I'm a guy who cusses and I look at him yeah. and like, really? You have to use that many? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Do you know what, like... Uh, I, I do too. Like if I get mad, I'll, I'll I'll swear and stuff. But the the thing that I don't understand what people don't think about, and same thing with podcasts, right? Like uh, there's lots of other podcasts, and you know I'm part of like the Makery Network and stuff like that. I'm the only podcast that doesn't curse up a storm on there. And it's like, first of all, I think you should be able to convey a point without swearing. And, and I understand sometimes it's just kind of fun. Sometimes it just fits. Like I totally get that. And, you know, if I'm hanging out with the, you know, with guys at work or something like that, there's times when I drop the F-bomb here and there. But the thing when you do that on a platform like a podcast or on YouTube, that there, there's, you know, your potential audience is a one huge group, right? Well, there's a percentage of them that are saying, you know what? He's just cursing. I, I, I'm not into this. Or crap, I can't really watch this. I don't want my kids hearing this and thinking that this is the way we should always be talking. So I can't watch this with my kids. And, you know, I, this is kind of my free time to watch YouTube. So just by swearing, you instantly take away a portion of your potential audience. And by the same token, people that do curse a lot, 
they're not watching a guy. If the guy's good content is like, like AVE, he has some really cool stuff. He's a smart guy. You can learn an awful lot. And if, if I was a person that swore all the time and I watched his channel and he never, ever swore, I wouldn't be like, you know what? I can't watch this guy. He doesn't swear enough. You know what I mean? Like you have to, to just curse and swear on uh, social media, you have only potential to lose some of your audience or to put off some people. There's zero potential to gain more. I don't think anybody's like, oh man, he's so cool. He swore a lot, right? People well, aren't going to stick around for the swearing. They'll stick around if your content's good. Well, the crazy thing But even about, if it is good, that, what's that? The crazy thing about him and his swearing is he has, I don't know how many times in his own videos that he has pointed out that um, people that use those words all the time are those new kids in the shop you know, the new guys coming onto the job, just trying to be cool around the older guys. Mm -hmm. Dude, you're the one cussing the most. Mm -hmm. you know, what does that say about you? You know? Yeah. And by the way, why, why do you hide who you are? You know, sometimes I get why you do. You want to hide your real identity, but then you hide everything about your social media existence. You hide the number of subscribers you have. You hide the number of, Patreon supporters and this, uh, you know, you just hide all your numbers. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Oh, he's, yeah, he's hiding. He's shady. <laughs> of course he, he is. He doesn't want to pay tax. He doesn't want to pay tax on his money. Right? <laughs> I have no idea, you know, how he thinks he's getting away with anything because, well, he's Canadian, so I don't know how that works wholly, but I know here... You know, it doesn't matter what I try to hide. If I'm getting money from Patreon or YouTube, you know, that's true. IRS gets my 1099 before I do. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Don't know how you hide. Yeah, you can't get. Yeah, you can't. You can't get paid on any of these platforms without having your social. You know, all your <laughs> fully registered. You know, because they have to protect their butts. They can't just start doling out money to creators and be like, "Who is this person?" Don't know. <laughs> We're not well, sure. The only thing I can think of is why he's hiding it is from us, the audience. So they don't know. Well, if they don't know I have this many supporters, then I'll still get supporters. They'll feel, you know, that they need to support me. Right. Yeah. Well, he never and used then, to hide it. And, the, and in 2020, when he could have been doing more for his audience, he did less. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's really yes, I don't I don't watch them. Yeah. And I know at one point uh a source, I'll just call them uh, you know, deep YouTube actually said and I think it was 2019ish, 2018, 2019, somewhere in there, mm -hmm. a couple of the big YouTubers that were hiding and and what they were making and claiming poverty. It was about the same time that PewDiePie got all his money taken away from him. But it wasn't, it didn't have to do solely with uh, Adpocalypse. But hmm. uh, he, I think AVE was alleged to be getting about fifty to $55,000 US hmm. a month yeah. just in Patreon. Minimum. Yeah, they that. said they they can't tell you how much he was really getting, 
but he had 55,000 Patreon active Patreon supporters and you have to give at least a dollar. Yeah. I heard that because I remember because he never used to have all of his stuff hidden. Because I, I remember watching his channel grow and, and when I started my channel, people were like, oh, it kind of reminds me of AVE or like I would do something. I'm not sure what it was, but I'm like, uh, who's this guy? And I look, I'm like, why? Because like we're both Canadians. We have Canadian accents. Um, but I remember watching his channel grow and he, he used to always have the numbers there. But then I heard that. I heard them saying that how much he makes. And I'm like, holy crap. You translate that to Canadian pesos, and that's a lot of money, you know? And that's, Maybe he doesn't want his friends Patreon to recognize how. Yeah. I wonder if he hides it so that all of his neighbors don't, like, or his family members don't start, like, bugging him for money. He's like, hey, rich uncle, <laughs> rich uncle AVE, can I, can I get a loan? Who knows? Well, that's crazy. Before you can ask me for a loan. You had to prove it's me because I never show my face. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little too crass for me, a little too crude in his, in his expressions. And I kind of like some funny expressions. And he, he does have a lot. It's very, uh, a lot of kind of creative, shall we say, expressions. But they're a little too crude for my taste. I'm like, ah, yeah, it's like you just, oh, okay, you just painted a really nasty picture. I, I don't need that. Like, for reals, man, get that. Now, Ugh. I could curdle his toes with some of the stuff I say. Even my euphemisms, um, but it's my defense mechanism. He's just doing it to try to be shocking and entertaining. Um, and I don't do it in polite society, right? You know, yeah. I normally do it by myself in the shop, so where no one hears me yeah. but me and God. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm just. Yeah, that I don't know. You know, within certain limits, but that's one thing that drives me insane with podcasts is that when they're always swearing it's like so now I have to have my headphones in which sometimes really sucks sometimes if I'm just like staining wood I, I don't want to have anything in my ears because I don't need ear protection and most of the time I'm always having ear protection in so if I can be in my shop listening to a radio with my ears unprotected well there's no noise I love it but no I can't because these guys are just cursing up a storm it really it ticks me off it bugs me that and it, to me ear protection and like ear Earbuds specifically is not good for you to have them in all the time. No. Our no. ears were meant to breathe. Yes. Yeah, 100%. I truly do believe that, you know, people that are constantly swearing, I think that it's just unintelligent communication. You're right. If you That's can't convey. It. Well, no, but it, it, there's a certain sense where it's like, okay, whatever, right? Oh, no. But no, some no, people that are like serious. That's why I do it, you know. No, but the thing is, if you wanted to, you could convey very strong feelings without it, right? Yeah. Like, usually when people are swearing, it's like something's an extreme. Like, this guy is so stupid, or this guy is, I was so angry at him, or I can't believe this was the dumbest situation. And so they just put a couple of F-bombs in there for emphasis, but it's like, you you could, if you took time and thought about what you're saying and were intelligent about how you communicate, you could have a very strong sense of anger come through in your words without one single swear. And oh, that's no, called intelligent you're right. conversation. I can. It, what I meant by, you know, no, that's why I do it is I used to work with people that were, and I don't mean this in any way other than the truth. I'm not trying to put myself above anybody. But, you know, if you look at on paper what my IQ is and then theirs, you know, literally I was more intelligent than these people on a broad yeah. 
you know, broad range of subject matter. They were just smart in one area, right? Mm-hmm. And they all cuss, so I, you know, I had to communicate with them to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I talk like a, you know, an intelligent human being all the time, they'd be like, uh, "Who the spy?" You know, mm, yeah, knuckle yeah. dragger, not like, oh, yeah, God, really. But that's the way yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, one thing, like, I guess that made me real. I had my, my opinions on, on swearing and regular conversation formed when I was a young man. Um, obviously I, I was never loud. I mean, <laughs> I, I would, I, I've actually had my mouth rinsed out with soap. Um, you know, my parents were quite strict about that. And then I remember I was going to trade school and you know, you, you got a bunch of millwrights. Most of them work on the rigs. And so they're a pretty rough, crude bunch of guys. And every other word's F-bomb. And it was kind of an eye-opener. Like, I mean, I was homeschooled until I dropped out. And then I come in, and I'm like old sheltered Jer, you know, lived a sheltered life. And these guys just cursing up a storm. But I like the guys. We got along great. We talked cars and stuff. But I just never swore. And we had this one teacher. And uh, he, was, he was a shady son of a gun. He would never show up. I don't know what his deal was with it. I don't think he was an alcoholic. I just don't think so. I think he would actually just go skiing all the time. And he, he, I don't know. Anyways, he ended up t- uh, missing a certain portion of classes. And this was our drawings, like our engineering drawing class. And once there's a certain threshold of classes that we didn't have teachers for, they would basically, they came in and said, okay, well, we can't actually give you a final test because you haven't learned all the stuff, but we're going to grade you guys on a bell curve. And I was really good in that class. Like any assignment that we actually were handed out and was marked, I did way better than most of the guys in the class. And they said, so you guys are going to get an average mark of 57%. And I stood up and I said, that's bullshit. And I remember the entire class looked at me and, and the Dean of state was there. And my instructor says, Jeremy, settle down. And I remember that one time cause I'd never sworn. All I had to say was bullshit, and they were like, holy crap, this guy ain't joking around, right? And so there's a certain sense, like, if it was an intense situation, yes, I would very likely pull out the odd cuss, you know, a choice word to convey some extreme emphasis, right? But it's like, you know, my dad always says, I will never pick up a stick if I don't intend to use it, right? So if I'm swearing that, you know, that's something serious. Whereas everybody else, it cheapens it. Like it, it has no value. If somebody's really angry and he's like, oh, F, 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 F. It's like, what are you talking about? You just said this effing donut was so effing good. Like, what, come on, really, you, your words have no value anymore. None whatsoever, <laughs> you know? That, that's how I always took it. And I remember seeing that reaction from people. I, I said, this is bullshit. And then everybody's like, oh, Jeremy's angry. I'm like, I didn't even drop the F-bomb, you know? So... I don't know. It's, it's kind of like the other thing is if you're not swearing all the time and if something you're very serious about something, you know, like once every five years, you got to pull something out and you drop that sucker. People look at you and they're like, okay, you know what I mean? And I think that's where maybe the value in curse words used to be. And then you get a bunch of sailors who just, and they just like, okay, you just entirely cheapened the value of that word. Cursing has no value anymore. In my opinion, sailors made cursing famous air force maintainers ruined it all we just (laughs) ruined it for everyone yeah yeah it's weird and it's so it's funny you were talking about getting your mouth washed out with soap because i had to 
washed out with soap. Oh, that didn't work. Now eat some of it. Oh, that didn't work. I'll beat you with the bar. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bomb stop. Do you see a do you see a trend here? You're not gonna save me. Yeah. Put your effort <laughs> into the other kids. <laughs> That's right. Don't waste it on me. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we got off topic of our tools there. We're good at that, aren't we? We kind of have a vague topic idea. I, I got a quick question for you. Go ahead. I got a question for you. And then you can ask the same of me. I'm not sure. Right now, so regardless of what tools you have, money's not an object. This is a gift. One single tool, anything on earth, what are you taking today? Like it's going to be there in 10 minutes. A monarch lathe. Ooh, that's a good one. That's what a real good you? one. A surface grinder. Oh, that is really not good. a surface, not a surface grinder attachment, but a nice like small industrial shop surface Absolutely. grinder. I would love one of those. I don't have room for one. I've been looking for them. I, I've kind of found a couple of them that weren't too bad. I'm like, I gotta get them. I'm like, I don't have room. I just don't. Yeah, I think um, uh, they would be a knife maker's secret weapon. Yeah. Like I'm seriously thinking about buying an attachment for my two by seventy two. Um, I want to get the one from Black Fox. I want to, you know, <laughs> his are our price with everybody else's. I like his stuff, and I think it'd be it'd be pretty. Re- he gave me a grinder, right? My two by seventy two. Um, and so <laughs> if if I went and bought a surface attachment from somebody else, that's pretty much the exact same price as his. It'd be it'd be pretty rude of me, but at the same time, I think his is probably better just because this grinder. You know, this, his grinder to the Beaumont is just, you can't even compare them. There's so much more thought and, and little tiny nuanced details that make a big difference. I'm like, wow, that's cool. But um, but I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if those would, you see people using them, but I'm like, is that the same as an actual service grinder? Oh, God. I don't no, know. I'm it can't torn. be. The precision cannot be there. It just can't. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't actually need it. Like, I could care less about precision. Right. I mean, those surface grinders, that's for doing like, you know, two parts that have mate and, yeah. you know, you can have like, you know, one ten thousandth of a, of an inch perfection, you know, um, that's for super, super precise. Like those ones are, but I just, I just want to flatten a blade. You know what I mean? Like if I had a blade within a thousandth or two thousandths of an inch, um, I could, that, that's way more than I'd ever need. And, and also the- just to to get the lines, like, you know, the grain lines and, and kind of do that finish on the flats. That's what I think it'd be handy for. And then maybe for doing like tapered tangs or something like that. But yeah, one of the things that I've seen that I think would be interesting to do that's in that vein is the, uh, a while back I sent you a link to a guy in one of those European countries, uh, that does, uh, Knife making, sword making. He has a old, uh, traditional service grinder, and he took the uh, top part off that you know, so it no longer uses wheels, and it mm-hmm. uses an actual uh, belt grinder, like a Burger King style uh, mm-hmm. belt on it, and that's what yeah. exa- all he uses it for is. Flatten the blades, uh, put all the scratch lines in the same direction, and move on. Yeah, yeah. 
That would be so handy. I also am convinced that there's got to be a way to grind bevels with those. So, you know, a lot of them, including the one all from Black Fox, you can... That's all it takes. Yeah. And to, you know, kick an angle. And then uh, there's a, a gentleman makes knives. I'm sure he's done this. He's never actually shared it, but I'm sure he's doing this. Oh, shoot. What's his name? Built Sharp. You ever seen Built Sharp? B-I-L-T yes. Sharp? Yeah. Uh, he's doing some knives, and I know for a fact that he's grinding so that the belt is running uh, parallel to the axis of the knife, to the length of the knife. He's not grinding at 90 degrees to the plot, and I, I, he's never shared it, but I was looking at it. I'm like, I, he's got a jig done for that, and you could so easily do that, and I'm like, that'd be unbelievable. Like if you could have a controlled jig like that where you can use like a surface grinder and grind in bevels... And then even the fact that if you had stop set up so that your your plunge line would stop and you match that nice radius of your whatever your contact wheel size you have, man, that would be amazing. Like you could just crank out beautiful knives all the time. I guess the one part is when it kind of comes to the tip, you couldn't completely finish that on a surface grinder. But he's got some type of a jig. I think he's using his belt horizontally and then he's got like a... Uh, a jig that he's clamping the knife to, and I think he's doing some bevels, uncertain of his models like that. I'm almost sure of it. I saw, now that you mention it, and it wasn't him, but I saw another knife maker on YouTube with zero subs, just some guy, right? Uh, He has a, runs his horizontal, and instead of the smallest, uh, wheel that you put on his is more like a spindle so it's almost as as, uh, the uh it makes a tight radius you know tighter than a screwdriver shank you know Hmm. um it it's probably a piece of tool steel or a round of carbide that the blade runs on that he you know made instead of a contact wheel Mm -hmm. but it makes a really tight uh, plunge line, and he runs yep. his horizontal. That's interesting. Now, he's doing that by That's hand, cool. but it still makes that incredibly tight uh, plunge line. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So for your Monarch lathe, what size would you want? If like everything was, you know, if I could just ask for whatever I wanted, probably uh, model 16, probably 54-inch length because I don't need a whole lot in length. Yeah. I actually can't have a whole lot of length and have a lot, you know, enough shop left over. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd be a sweet little tool. Have you ever looked at uh, what it would cost to get one? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can get one. It's just finding it and then getting it here. Um, that's yeah. why I'm trying to focus on uh, getting this truck out at a shop and then getting finding a trailer that, uh, you know, like a 12K trailer or something. Yep. Because I'm also looking for a, a piece of used uh, construction equipment that use around the uh, property here. So. Yeah. What's that? I either want to... Uh, track skid steer or uh, mini excavator, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. If I it could, if I could just find one, it'd be the 
track skid steer, but because it does more. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about like I, I don't know. On the one hand, I mean we're pretty much done building here, uh, and then the other hand is that my dad has a skid steer. It's not tracked, but um, it's it's a big. It was one of the biggest. I think it might have been the biggest model that Bobcat made that year. So it's capable, right? Like, I mean, when I, this spring, I got to redo my driveway. I mean, my dad's got a trailer for it. It's sitting there. It's never used and I can just go pick it up. And then I get a couple truckloads of gravel thrown down, <laughs> you know, in an hour where I've got it leveled, you know, by the time lunch comes around, I can pick it up, level the driveway and drop it back off at my dad's place. So that's the only reason I've never bought one yet, but I, w- I want my own. But then again, to buy something like my dad's, it's like, <laughs> what do you want a new, new pickup truck or a Bobcat, you know? And yeah, then even and some of the old beaters that are like 5,000 bucks. I'm like, oh man, that thing is really ragged and, and tiny. Like, yeah, it's, it just seems to weird to opt and for that. And look and be able to, you know, drive the other side of the country at a moment's notice. And that's what I'm trying to work to put myself in a position to be able to do. Because yeah. I know in order to afford it, I'm going to have to find that killer deal. Yeah. I'm looking for that yeah. one, that woman who's divorcing her husband, it's in her name, and she wants to sell <laughs> yeah. it to me for $200 to make him mad. That's, that's what yeah. I'm for. Yeah, that's funny. And I'll do no, it. No, and those are out there. And, <laughs> yeah. And it's true. Those deals are out there. And like you say, you just have to be set up. So it's like, yep, okay, yeah, I'm leaving right now. I just need to hook up my trailer and, and fill up my truck and then your way, you know. That's, that's how it is. It's got to be some boom, boom, quick acting thing. You know, I had, uh, like I had that old junk, junk lathe, um, that I, that I used to have. And I remember I sold, I sold it for a good price cause I got it for a good price and I put it up and within an hour, I probably had five people that, Oh, I want this. I want this. I want this. And two of them said, can you deliver it? I'm like, no. It's like, well, I only have a car. I was like, sorry. And then the other guy, he's like, yeah, he was for a couple hours away. He said, I'm coming down right now. I got my truck. Are you there this afternoon? I said, yeah. I said, when are you coming? He goes, I'm actually driving right now. I'm like, cool done it's yours you know what i mean it's like you say those good deals you have to jump on them or else you're not you're not getting them yep you know unless you should have just told dad the, gives you his the people old, with the car yeah i can deliver it for four times the asking price yeah yeah no kidding yeah yeah no they're handy i um when my dad was saying he's getting rid of his lathe i was like wow he actually said it outside and it wasn't covered. And this was in the summer. Luckily, it didn't rain. But he said, oh, yeah, and you get out of the shop for doing the tin. He said, I'm just going to sell for scrap or just take it to the scrapyard. I'm like, no, 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 you're not. So he brought it over for me. He delivered it and everything. He used his bobcat with the forks on it, brought it in. Oh, I love that. I love an old lathe like that that has a bit of girth to it. Oh, it's actually useful, you know. Like these, oh, these modern lathes that you buy, even a four or $5,000 modern lathe, garbage garbage you know they put a digital readout on it and they say oh this is or a ten thousand dollar lathe i'll take this one that i have any day it's crazy yeah the old uh when it comes to shop equipment lathes and mills surface grinders nothing nothing beats the old wartime cast iron machines yep because they're still running. Yeah. You know, I can't buy a brand new piece of equipment, get it off the truck, and it run. Yeah. And that, that was before, like, we talked about, like, oh, let's 
let's save 10 cents on these next thousand pieces by ordering smaller bolts. Right. The, 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 the thought was different back then. Oh, yeah, the company's all, reputation you know, was. That's exactly right. People cared about reputation and now it's a nameless faceless. Well, it's a, a, a faceless company. You know, there's no people there that are the poster child for the company. No private ownership. Otherwise, you know, it's just a mm-hmm. faceless board of money hungry uh, people. Yeah. And I have absolutely yep. no doubt, even if it was a mistake, I have no doubt that, you know, bolts being that short when they're supposed to be nylon and it doesn't even fit the nylon washer, that's a cost-saving measure by some doofus that doesn't know anything about nylon washers or yep. nuts. Yeah. And it's funny why when I dropped you, it off, like... You know, why are that? we buying... Inch and a quarter bolts when we only need an inch. Mm-hmm. And instead of asking and the engineer or the designer, nope, I'm just ordering inch, and then I'm going to get a big bonus. Yeah, because I save money. And then it's funny, like most customers, you know, they could be like, "Oh, whatever." You know, I, I always wonder, like, when I when I so when I dropped it off. He said, what's going on? So I said, look under there. I said, this bolt came loose. And actually, when I showed him, that bolt had completely fallen out. And I said, yeah, that bolt's gone. I said, behind the impeller. First of all, he's like, whoa, he knows what an impeller is. Ooh, maybe this guy knows something, right? And then I'm like, I saw the bolt that came off there. And I'm looking at the other ones that bolt the impeller housing to the transmission box. I said, none of those nylocks are engaged on the nylock nuts. And then he looks, he goes, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Most customers, most people that go in and buy a brand new snowboarder have no clue what the hell a nylock nut is, right? They have no, no clue. he would have fixed whatever the first thing is, as you said, left everything else wrong. Yes. And so I'm like, I, I, and I wonder too, when these guys are like, oh, crap, we actually got to make this thing work right because this guy is not an idiot, you know? And, and you kind of look at from a corporate side when they cheapen everything, people don't know they're cheaping in it. You know, most people don't have education as to the physical objects that they own. They have no relationship with them. It's like they buy it. And, you know, even I was telling my wife, it's like, it's against everything in me to load this on a trailer and take it to them to fix it. Like it kills me inside. But at the same time, I didn't spend two grand on a snowblower so that I could work on it after three hours, right? But most people aren't like that. You know, they're like, oh, and and these companies can cheapen the tools. They can knock the quality down. They can, you know, pinch the pennies here and there to save a couple of cents over the long run. And nobody knows the difference. Like, oh, yeah, I remember the good old days. Things used to work better. But, oh, this one's much nicer. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's lack of education. You want to know how, how you can tell people are dumber than they used to be? How's that? You don't have to buy a warranty. You What's have that? to, you you now have to buy a warranty. Most warranties you have to buy, right? Otherwise, Extended it's just thirty, warranty. sixty, ninety days. Well, yes. You know, fifty years ago, you got a warranty. Yeah. You know, it, I, they didn't know anything about one year, two year. It was a lifetime warranty. As long as you owned the tool and the company was there, they took care of you. Yeah. Oh no, our tools suck so bad now. You have to buy the warranty. <laughs> yeah. That's what? funny. That's yeah. Stupid. Have you seen Rigid has? Yeah. 
uh, like I wonder what's what the heck Rigid is doing right now because they've got a free lifetime warranty if you register the product, right? So I bought a little palm sander and um, registered it, and it's un- unconditional lifetime warranty. Well, no, I for parts or whatever or uh, manufacturing defects. Um, and then I burnt this thing out, like I was sanding like a lot. I burnt this thing out in a week and I went to make a claim and they couldn't find it. And I had the email and I, like I talked with corporate and they said, we can't find that you registered. I said, I got this email confirmation. Say, oh, that's not in our system. <laughs> like, wow. So this is how it works. I gotcha. Then they have lifetime batteries too, right? Uh, rigid, like as long as you own the tool, if your battery dies, you get new ones. I'm like, there, there's something, you can't do that. They can't do that. There's something, something weird going on. You know what I mean? There's a fine print that's just going to be like, oh, wow. It, it's so shady. Yep. Um, yeah. I know I'll get a lot of death threats for this one. No company is as shady about taking care of their customers as Snap-on. Really? They have a business model based around screwing their customers to include their distributors, the, the guys driving their tool trucks around. Really? Yeah. See, I haven't had that experience. I mean, not everybody has it, and a lot of people just accept the fact that, oh, I'm supposed to have Snap-on. Well, you don't have to if you don't want to. Um, yeah. As a customer, if I go to your shop and you're working on my widget, I don't care what you work on it with. I don't care what the brand of tool is. I don't judge you by your brand of tool. I judge you on the quality of your work. Mm-hmm. Most people do that. The only people yeah. who don't do that is the people on social media telling you that you need X brand of tool and then the company that sells the tools. You need us. Mm-hmm. And that guy on the tool truck that's saying, and I have actually witnessed this, well, if you don't have Snap-on, you're never going to be taken seriously. You're always going to be the, you know, the backup mechanic. <laughs> that's interesting because i've had nothing but good experience with my snap-on guy back when i used to buy snap-on like i said not all are bad it's just the company itself yeah does not care about you the customer and they care even less about their tool guy as long as make us sales that's when we care about you mm-hmm. you fall mm-hmm. off one month and figure out what we really think about you yeah um because the uh i know two uh retired snap-on guys and they've both retired in the last f- five years both of them tell the same story and they're not even in the same room right i've talked to them separately and they both tell the same story oh yeah i had you know i kept my sales up what they expected of me not that they have quotas but what they expected of me you know, January, February, March. Yeah, I fell off in April. They told me, well, make it up in May or you're not going to get your tools. What? Well, yeah, you heard me. I don't care what mm. you got. And then the one guy, he's like, I, I can't do that to my customers, you know, because I live with these guys, you know, small town America. So he had to buy stuff out of his own pocket. Wow. That's interesting. Um, 
see when I like when I worked at Sanjo, we actually got a budget from work. I've never bought Snap-on before because I've always liked Craftsman, like the old Craftsman. I don't even know if they make them anymore, but like the Craftsman from like the early 90s, I'm like, those are nice tools. And I bought a lot of them and still had them when I went to San Gel, like, you know, 15, 20 years later. And um, I remember the, we had we had a tool allowance. It was 400 bucks a month. And one of the ways they liked to do it was that you could just go the Snap-on truck and the boss's credit card would come on the Snap-on truck. And then, you know, he'd, he'd you'd go, what do you want? And then our Snap-on guy would allow us to do installments of, of big tools, right? Say if I wanted like a $1,500 something, um, I could put 400 bucks down. So I'd walk in with my boss and be like, yeah, uh, put 400 bucks on your card, boom. And then he would expense all this stuff and he kept all the receipts. And then I actually got a receipt too, uh, but it was just for warranty. And so I couldn't actually claim those tools uh, in my taxes or whatever because they technically they're kind of like a – it's kind of weird the way they had it set up. But um, uh, And so I started getting Snap-on tools. I'm like, this is insane. And by the time I was done there, I mean, I had a lot of Snap-on tools. And then I ended up winning a lot too. Like they always have those raffles, those draws you can enter. Um, I won all like the Christmas prize thing. You know, if you spend over 60 bucks, you get one entry. If you do this, you get this. And I won so much stuff from Snap-on. It was insane. And then when I was done working there, I had all these Snap-on stuff. And a lot of it was kind of specialized. And I've kind of just gotten rid of a lot of it because, first of all, I don't use it anymore. You know, I'm, I'm working on my vehicles, not, you know, frack units. Like, I don't need those big, huge tools that I had. Um but I always, I always kind of liked them. I mean, the screwdrivers, though, anytime I had an issue with a screwdriver, just bring it in, boop, he puts a new blade in it, right? They, they pull a little blade out of the handle and pop a new one in there, and he's always been really good with warranty stuff for me. Even I had a, a really nice LED work light, and those can be pricey, like a couple hundred bucks. I had got one of those once, and it stopped working, and it was just outside of the warranty, and he said, I oh, will send it back and get a new one for you anyways. So I, I've always had really good experience, but I, I do agree 100%, like, if it's my money, there's no way on earth I'm buying Snap-on. It's to me, it's not worth it. The yes, they're nice. The ergonomics of some of their tools are better than any other wrenches, but some of them I don't like as much, right? Like that's the thing when you got a tool and you're using it all day every day, you form a fairly strong opinion of whether it's comfortable. You know, is this wrench? What is it like when I'm pulling on this wrench for like two or three hours? You know. Some of them are good. Some of them are terrible. There's some Snap-on tools. People will be like, hey, you want one of these? I'm like, nope. Just, I'd rather take some stupid thing from Home Depot. Give me a Husky over that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But. Yeah, I, I'm like you. I prefer old Craftsman. I mean, me older than you, but uh, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm now starting to go to uh, keep my eye out on estate auctions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh to look specifically for old craftsman tools just because I love them, you know, anywhere from the, you know, 30s to the 70s, 80s. Yeah. I've got a... Yeah. My, uh, uh, the toolbox that fell off the forklift when I moved to Tennessee uh, and ruined the top section of it. It was an old, still in mint condition old craftsman machinist toolbox and now the top of it's hmm. like at a obtuse angle but uh oh no yeah it's just ruined the bottom still works oh. great but it was full of old craftsman tools from the 50s oh wow phenomenal 
Yeah. Have you ever heard of garagejournal.com? No. Oh, go! you're going to love it. I'm sorry. Like I just probably wasted the rest of your entire day by letting you know about that <laughs> place. So it's a forum and everything. But I've bought so many tools off their classifieds and like old Craftsman wrench sets. It's kind of like anything. Like now anvils are so expensive because everybody wants one and people kind of know their value. But there's still some pretty good deals you can have. But their their classifieds are intense. Like, I don't know. Back when I used to actively buy, they probably had 100 new listings a day. And then mostly in the U.S., all over the U.S., garagejournal.com. And then they've got one, like, just the gallery. People share pictures of their garages. That's where your whole day is going to go. Your day's going to be wasted. <laughs> it's so good. I love that website. It's a great. you got to check it out. But then their classifieds, if you're looking for old tools... Uh, definitely a good place to check out. Like their price have gotten a little more expensive lately. Like I probably last checked, I don't know, maybe two or three months ago, as opposed to like five years ago. Um, but there's still you can find the good stuff there sometimes. But uh, real quick back to Snap On, I actually got paid by Snap On once. We did, oh. uh, you know, they have their calendars. Um, uh, what is it? The Tech Toys. I forget which year it was. Uh, they what have month tool guy were you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was February. <laughs> I had a big uh, polar bear outfit on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was cold here. <laughs> so, um, so one of the guys that I worked with, uh, I think he only worked to help pay for his uh, his racing addiction, and he had um, he was a like uh, shoot, what is this? top fuel? He had a top fuel dragster, right? The ones with the big, huge, fat tires oh, yeah. and the real. You're like 40 feet long. Anyways, he had one of these and he'd submitted some pictures of it for, you know, you can submit, have your car featured. And he was chosen to be in the snap on and it's like Canada, US distrib- distribution. And they said, oh, we don't have a photographer. We need to find a local photographer. And he knew that I was a photographer. I'd, I did some work for DuPont Paint for one of their calendars. And he goes, oh, I know a guy here. And then our snap on guy came up to me and said, are you, you do photographer i'm like yeah sure he goes well let me talk to him so he called them so i called his boss and his boss comes so sure enough they gave me a contract and they paid me 500 bucks to take pictures of my co-worker's car <laughs> i was like sweet but yes i forget what year it was um except they spelled my last name wrong they always do every time i get cars and calendars they always get my last name spelled wrong and it just pisses me off it's like it's not hard you got the check right why couldn't you just put that on the back of the the calendar where the credits are you know because accounting uh, is a lot more intelligent than... That's true. I never thought about that. Than their, <laughs> than, than their graphic design department. That's true. Oh, that's so simple. Of course. Why didn't that come to me? Ay, ay, ay. Well, have you, are you by chance on your computer looking at garagejournal.com? Not yet. I'm going to try to hold off until oh. I actually get okay. to the mechanic and pick up my truck. Okay, good idea. And then also, you probably wouldn't even be responsive. Oh, Todd's non-responsive. He must be. On, he must be on GarageJournal.com. That yeah, darn yeah, squad just a minute. cash dropped this off again. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> right on. Well, I think this has been a pretty good show. A little bit of tool talk. A little bit of other stuff. We didn't get too carried away in politics. <laughs> that's a that's a rarity. Yeah, we, <laughs> we could have to throw this away week. this week's episode. That's right. And of the, all the weeks we've been handed something, we're just like, that's why we got out of our system in the beginning. So whatever your political views are, good for you. 
<laughs> we fully support you having a political view. Done. And there we go. Yeah. We'll just be like every other person in on earth. It, whatever your political views are, you have a right to be wrong. That's right. <laughs> That's right. For sure. Well, want to thank everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you, Todd, again. Always enjoy your conversations. Absolutely. This and, is the uh, highlight of my week, but that tells you yeah. how boring my life is. <laughs> well, you haven't discovered garagejournal.com. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a hard time scheduling. <laughs> I'm busy this week. <laughs> you ready to go? No, I'm busy this week again. <laughs> I mean, you're pushing this thing like it's farmersonly.com. <laughs> I have no clue what that is, but. It's a dating no, site for farmers. <laughs> okay. They have the most ridiculous commercials on earth. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Uh, it's some hunky guy that's a farmer, you know, scoring some hot babe on farmersonly.com. And I'm like, you've never really seen a farmer, have you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's so funny. Even if she was interested, you smell like poop. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Right on. Well, thanks to everybody, and uh, we will catch you next week. <laughs>